Welcome to Bible and Stuff, a podcast about the Bible and stuff. I'm Glenn. And I'm Tanner. And today we have a special guest on the show with us. We have Trevin Wax. Uh, Before we kind of let him do his own introduction, I'm going to just give a high-level introduction of who Trevin is and what he does, and then we're going to let Trevin kind of tell him tell us a little bit more about himself. Uh, so, so Trevin, Trevin Wax is the Vice President for Research and Resource Development at the North American Mission Board. He's a visiting professor at Wheaton College and a columnist at the Gospel Coalition, and he's also the author of a lot of books, including the one that we're going to talk about today, which is Rethink Yourself, The Power of Looking Up Before Looking In. Uh, Trevin, we're super excited to have you on today, uh, but please fill us in a little bit more about on, on who you are. Tell us about your family, whatever you want to go into. <laughs> well, thanks guys for having me on. It's an honor to be here. And yeah, I guess uh, most importantly is uh, um, my family, my wife, Karina and I have been married. Uh, I guess this year we're going to celebrate 19 years. Nice. So um, Congrats. Got, yep. Yep. Um, and then my, we've got three kids. Um, our oldest is a senior in high school. Uh, then we've got a, a middle schooler and then we have a, a third grader as well. So yeah, so a lot of fun happening around here. And <laughs> yeah, we're kind of an international family. My wife's Romanian and right now she's in England actually visiting her brothers. She's got that got brothers that live mm. there. And so uh I feel like we're, you know, we're we we've our family has been on two different continents many, many times. Yeah. Uh and has seen home base there and here. Sure. So sure. Yeah. So I saw that in your bio, which yeah, you have a lot of stuff going on. We had to try to condense that as much as we could. <laughs> but I saw that you used to used to be in Romania. What are you right. born American, then spent some time over there, then came back? Where where are you from? Yep. So I'm I'm born here in the United States. I um I did mission trips there as a as a teenager with my church. Okay. And then wound up living there for five years. I did mission work there. I did my undergrad work at a Christian university there. I learned to preach, teach, do ministry in the villages there. That's awesome. where my wife and I met. We got married there. We had our, our our first child when we were still living there during that time. So, uh, so a lot. I really feel like in many ways I cut my teeth in ministry in a cross cultural context. Hmm. And so, yeah, uh, it, that's been that's been something helpful because, you know, the the more you're out of your own culture, the more that when you look back at it, you can actually see things that you that are harder to see when you're in it, sure. you know? And so, um, I, I hope that that, I think that that's been something formative and, influ- and influential for me and in the writing and, and teaching I've done over the years. That's really interesting. So I have to tell myself a little bit, but maybe the Romania connection explains it. I was telling Glenn beforehand, I said, it always throws me off when I see Trevin speaking because for some reason for, I, I just always, it's you and Colin Hansen. I've just always expected you to have an accent <laughs> based on, based on, I don't know how you look where, based on like where, like a, an accent from like I, the UK yeah, or like the I South so. or like, what do you No, doing? no, no. I think probably like European, uh, maybe even a little more Eastern. I don't know what it is, but I think it's, it's, I mean, it's because you look like you are. Uh, too smart to have an American accent, so you it must be <laughs> you must be something else. Yeah, that's funny. No, I've it's funny. I in you know there are different accents no matter where you go because even in Romanian, like I learned Romanian with a Northwest Romanian accent. Okay, so like my my Romanian would be different than people in the northeastern part of Romania, and mm. so it, it's just it's fascinating how accents. <laughs> 
like what they what they communicate to people and hearing them. But no, I'm Colin Hansen lives in Birmingham. <laughs> you know? I know. So I mean, and, and I and I live in the South as well. So yeah. if there were any accent, I think you'd expect it would be one from the South. But. Yeah. I don't I just maybe I just wish I had a different accent and I'm projecting on you and Colin. <laughs> Hey, you know, you know, I have Siri on my phone has a British accent oh. because she just sounds smarter. Yeah. So I, she sounds I, I happier, too. She sounds a little yes. less perturbed. She does. And she's always like, turn now into the car park. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, OK. All right. Well, let's let's get into the real stuff now that I've I've outed myself as not being able to judge what people should sound like by their pictures. Um, but today we're talking about your your relatively new book. I think it was released last year called Rethink Yourself. And I like to start with the obvious and just say, why do we need to rethink ourselves, Trevin? <laughs> well, <laughs> Help me out I, here. I, I, I think the main reason is, is because we live in the kind of world that doesn't that doesn't do a whole lot of self-reflection and thinking in just in general about what the purpose of life is or like what our meaning is in life. We do a lot of thinking about how we come off to other people. <laughs> I mean, mm. that's definitely where a lot of our attention goes. But the deeper questions about who we are why God made us, what our purpose in life is supposed to be. Those are the questions that uh, we often take for granted. And I think we are, unless we rethink ourselves, we're just going to wind up thinking in line with what everybody else thinks. And so you wind up, you know, there's all those slogans about life, you know, be true to yourself, you be you, follow your heart, chase your dreams, all those kinds of things that you hear in you know, graduation speeches or on television or in inspirational songs and stuff like that. And if you don't really interrogate what you think about life, then you're not really challenging yourself to, to, to go deeper, to ask yourself some deeper questions. Hmm. Sure. Yeah, I think, I think you're totally right. I think uh, it's, it's interesting because people want to talk so much about deconstruction right now, which is normally focused to the church, you're actually kind of doing the flip side of that, right? Like people grow up in church. So a lot of their thoughts about God are just kind of assumed by what's around them. And they hit a certain age and they realize, I don't know if all this is true or not. And so they start to work through those things. And, you know, we could talk a whole hour on that, but you're, you're actually kind of doing the opposite. It's like, yeah, but you also grow up in a world and if you're not careful, you just assume whatever that culture you grow up in says about who you are and what you should do. And I mean, I think you hint at it in the, in the subtitle, uh, The Power of Looking Up Before Looking In, that we're, we're starting in the wrong place. Mm. But before, that's a tease. So before we get there, I want you to tell us a little bit about why. So you, you talk about how it's actually kind of hard to define ourselves by looking in. And I'm curious as to why that is. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I think that for at least for the first third of this book, I'm doing deconstruction as well, but I'm not deconstructing the religious views you came, you grew up with. Yeah. I'm deconstructing the cultural views that you haven't thought that need mm. to be deconstructed. So Absolutely. deconstruction can be a really good process. The question is, what are you trying to deconstruct and then reconstruct in its place? Yeah. So the first third of the book is I'm what I am is I'm deconstructing that idea of that the purpose of life is that you look in to your own heart to find what your deepest desires are. Mm-hmm. And then you define who you want to be and you express that to the world and expect to, to get the world's affirmation and applause for 
you being this sort of authentic version of yourself. That is the dominant view of life for most people in our society. And I think it's ripe for interrogation. Like we have to like, we really need to look deeper into that, those, those sort of slogans and that sort of idea that even if people, and there may be some people listening who are like, well, what's wrong with that? Yeah. I kind of see that's like, that's my life. You know, I want to say, yeah, that's the thing. We don't really think about it. It's just sort of in the air we breathe. It's in the water we drink. So um, I, I think that's that idea that the purpose of life is to discover yourself and then express yourself. That's what needs to be challenged. And we need to, to, to look deeper into why we think that way. And then also what are some of the the problems that arise in a life that is devoted to that, to that kind Mm. of purpose and meaning? Yeah. Well, and one of the things I think is really helpful that you point out is we're not even that good at pinning ourselves down at knowing what it is we really want i mean i'm so i'm 28 and i constantly make the joke with people about like yeah i still don't know what i want to be when i grow up it's like first of all i'm a grown man i have two kids uh but that joke is kind of hinting at that bigger problem is a lot of us still even though we've wrestled with it for a long time have trouble saying it is exactly what we do desire and then you know of course there's the whole piece of we're kind of like the dog with the fire truck. Like, even if we get it, we don't really know what to do with it. And we also, we often find ourselves unfulfilled by it. Yeah. My wife is definitely going to be happy listening in on this episode because she, I I swear she asks me weekly, what do you want to do with your life? (laughs) Um, This is all ploy for you to tell us what to do with our lives. Yeah. Well, just ask her. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you noticed, but the whole time we've been doing this podcast, we've been in a park. Yeah, it's pretty awesome, actually. Yeah, I mean, there's like people on bikes riding by. We're like sitting kind of close to the fountain. It's pretty chill all in all. It really is a nice ambiance. And I don't know, Tanner and I have really enjoyed kind of taking up this <laughs> side gig as buskers. I mean, we're we're in a park like you would see any other guy playing guitar l- looking for money. Uh, I don't want to make us sound like we're too <laughs> desperate. I mean, yeah, we're but, definitely not desperate. <laughs> but we're in a park recording our podcast. Uh, and, you know, each week we want to take it place to place uh, just to kind of liven things up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's been good. But for those of you who aren't here in real time... If you want to support us and you want this thing to keep going, we need your help. And so we've set up a virtual tip jar for you to be able to do just that. So while you may not be like this tour group that we see passing right here or even that lady over there feeding the pigeons, if you want to contribute, do it through the link in the description. And that's how we keep getting to do this. Yeah. And who knows where we'll see you next week. I totally see what you're saying. Like Glenn and I both have little kids and it seems like a lot of parenting, like kind of pop culture parenting stuff is wrapped around this idea of just letting your child be who they are and, you know, helping them kind of grow into, you know, blossom into this, you know, perfect version of themselves. The problem is uh, that normally turns into this mentality of like, I am this and I don't need to change. The world needs to change, which first of all, just mm. isn't, doesn't normally happen. 
<laughs> uh, not everyone is gonna is gonna bow to to your personal desires, your personal idea of who you should be when it eventually affects them. And so, I, I all that to say, I see how this kind of hits you at every stage of life, from from when you're a little kid all the way down till maybe you know when you're older in age and you kind of are like, did that work? I I've, I've been you know, following these, you know you know, kind of cliche things that you mentioned earlier. And I don't know that I've ever achieved what I was was hoping for. So obviously, in the book, you are suggesting a better way for us to, to work through these things. And so I'm curious, what do you think God and the Bible, or other words, looking up, have to say about who we are? Yeah, so this is a, for our culture, it's a radically different way of looking at it, because you're you're bringing in an outside view, something outside of yourself that's going to define you rather than you defining yourself. And that is not really popular. <laughs> like it just, it doesn't go over really well. We like to think that we're in control. That sort of objective standard that we're talking about where you're like, your life is going to be judged by someone else's bar yeah. is something we we don't like, but you really can't get around it completely. I mean, you talked about how uh, most people don't expect the world. I mean, we kind of expect the world to change if we just say who we are and that doesn't really happen. Well, in some cases it does, but it's not always in a good way. So like yeah. consider, you know, consider the kindergarten teacher of Adolf Hitler saying, you be true to yourself and you follow <laughs> your dream, no matter what anyone else says, you know, yeah. and you can just see the evil Hitler just smiling. All righty then, I'm gonna do you know, like at some point we realize, okay, whatever you're pursuing needs to actually be good for you yeah. and good for others and good for the world. And so the, uh, uh, the, the problem with looking in is that uh, it makes ourselves, it makes us sort of the maker and definer of our own lives. And that actually, because we weren't designed that way, that's not what we're, what God created us to be. It does lead to lack of fulfillment and it leads to, to certain problems. And so looking up is a radically different way. It's a different starting point. It's not that you never look in. It's not that you never look to see what your uniqueness is or what gifts that you may have to contribute to those around you or that uh, that you don't look in to see what your desires are and the dreams that you want to chase. Of course you do that. That's part of what it means to be human is to like be on this, this journey of pursuit, a quest of some sort. That's how we, that's how we talk about life. But it's in terms of priority uh, that you look up to God first, to his design, to what he has called us to be, what he has made us to be, what he tells us about ourselves. That has to be the, the fundamental priority. Then you look around to the people around you uh, to where you do get, yes, affirmation, but also accountability. And you've got all of these other, you've got uh, um, people who are making you better, who you are also seeking to, to improve so that they are more like the God in whose image that they're made. And then Third, you look in, I mean, a lot of people have said it over the years, you know, in terms of priority, we say God, others than me, right? Mm -hmm. uh, our culture is like, no, it's me, me, me. And then others, if they like me, and then God, if I kind of my, you know, if I kind of need some sort of transcendent, higher power, spiritual thing going on to make me better, you know, yeah. that's the way our society thinks of it. And what I'm trying to do is like, flip that to say, no, the Bible's way on this is radically different. The way of Jesus is different. The way that the, that Jesus talks about life, about, you know, losing your life in order to find it mm -hmm. and taking up your cross. And it's this radically 
self-renouncing way in order to then on the other side of that, have a joy that's unspeakable and unexplainable. So it, it's counterintuitive, but really powerful once you actually see what the Bible is proposing and often how far our lives are from what that, that vision of life. So just to kind of not clarify, but reiterate what you're saying right there, because I think we may have some listeners who are maybe newer to the faith potentially. If we're looking to figure out uh, who God calls us to be, I know I've heard a thousand times from from growing up to even now people saying, well, like, I don't I, I don't hear God speak to me like, you know, clearly or anything like that. Where do we look to find that? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the first place that you have to go is God's word. So, I mean, God's word is the is the only infallible inspired source of wisdom. So when people say that they don't hear God speak, I want to say, well, you're not you're not opening his word and reading because he is speaking to us in his word. So that's the first place that, that we go. And God, obviously, that's the that's his revealed word to us. Um, that's his personal, specific world, word to us. God does speak in other ways. The Bible actually talks about God speaking through creation. You know, the heavens are declaring the glory of God. And so there's a sense in which even people that don't have the Bible may have some sort of understanding of who God is and some of the characteristics of this God because of what he's communicating and what he has made. Um, but then, you know, God God also speaks through other people. Uh, as long as that's in line with what God's word is, you know, God will, you know, the timely word from someone who, who will tell you what you need to hear when you need to hear it, whether that be a word of encouragement. Sometimes it's a word of correction, uh, which we don't like as much, but is important. You know, um, God is God is 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 constantly speaking. The 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 reality is a lot of times we're expecting this lightning bolt of inspiration. Yeah. Like I know people that they get frustrated with their quiet, you know, the quiet time that we talk about yeah. in evangelical circles, which, you know, a quiet time, basically it's like, okay, you read your Bible and pray. Okay. But we, we say quiet time. Well, what, but a lot of times people are like, okay, I'm not getting anything out of this. I'm, I'm reading this Psalm or I'm reading this passage from the Bible and I've read it before. And I really, you know, I don't feel like there's any sort of moment of inspiration. And I'm like, yeah, it's kind of like eating. Not every meal is like a five-star memorable meal that you like are going to put on Instagram and show everybody. Like a lot of meals are just, you know, I, I had a snack in the afternoon or I just, you know, I grabbed a burger on my way home from the, this or, you know, we made, you know, we warmed up some leftovers tonight or what, but that is still sustaining you, right? Like it's still, so it's still doing something for you. It's feeding you, even if it's not necessarily mesmerizing all of the time. And so what I tell people is when you get into God's word and you want to hear him speak, don't expect like the lightning bolt flash of inspiration every time. Expect God to work through the quiet rhythms of that way of life that is just seeking to submit yourself to him and to his word. And you'll be amazed over time that that just the action of doing that shapes you into a kind of person who then is ready and receptive and willing to be, you know, like Mary, the mother of Jesus. When the, the angel comes to her and uh, gives her the announcement, she is, may it be as you have said, you know, that ultimately that's the posture that we all as believers want to have. Mm. I think I think that's really helpful. I, I love what you say about Bible reading there because I, 
that's something I think a lot of people want is they want this kind of super magical, you know, every morning moment. And that's not the reality. Most of the time, it's much more of this daily bread, right? That's just like in uh, the the prayer Jesus shows us is we just go back day after day. And like you said, it, it can sustain us for that day. But also, I think as you build your knowledge and as you live in the word more and more, you're going to more readily recall God's word when you do reach, you know, trials in life. But if you if you haven't put that away, if you haven't kind of steeped in that and like you said trained yourself uh to, to in these normal rhythms, then they're not quite as accessible to you when you when you need them. So, um th- I think that's super helpful just practical advice that I would commend to almost uh, to anybody, not almost anybody, to anybody. Uh, so <laughs> just, if you're listening to this, then you. <laughs> um, okay, so I think there's two natural questions that pop up for me kind of following the train of thought that we're on here. And I think the first one a lot of people would, would jump in and say is, okay, uh, I don't need to start with myself. I need to start with God. But then automatically they go, okay, but what if God wants something for me that I I don't want. What do I, what do you tell that person? What do they do? Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. There, there are examples where God has something for you that you don't want. And there's, there's different ways of responding in that, in that moment. Of course, there's always just plain disobedience. Like, well, if God, you know, I, I, and I've, and I've heard this before, people are like, I'm, you know, people say, I feel this call to a certain kind of ministry, but I'm afraid God's going to call me to this far off place, or he's got, you know, something that's radical. Or, and and I guess my my um, response to that is to say, generally, generally, God is going to so work in your heart to create in you the desires that you are going to, uh, that, that those desires are going to then line up with his desires for you. So very rarely do you like talk to people in certain kinds of ministry, whether they're, you know, involved in, in, uh, um, uh, ministry helping, you know, homeless people in the, in, in their neighborhood, or whether they're helping with a food bank or whether they're doing evangelistic mission in a closed off country or something, you, you rarely ever meet someone who's like called to give of themselves to a certain ministry that they don't feel a passion for it. Right. Yeah. Like, and you say, well, why, why is that the case? It's because the, you know, the, the psalmist says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I, there's a way of interpreting that verse to be like, okay, so as long as I love God, he's going to do whatever I want for me. Yeah. That's not what that verse means. That verse is meaning when you delight yourself in God, when you find your, your joy in him, your desires are going to more and more align with his desires so that his desire for you will be your desire for you. It's like, it's actually, um, this is one of the, the, again, one of the paradoxes of Christianity. When you come to Jesus and you give up all of your dreams, you get from him bigger dreams for you than you dreamed for yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not that it's not that you no dream anymore. It's that you realize that you've been dreaming. Your desires have been so much smaller than what God's desires are for you. So yeah, there are times when we are like Jonah, you know, yeah. where you know we get we get we get basically we're in that situation where God wants us to do something and we don't want to do it. But you know the story of Jonah. If you really read those four chapters, they're just it's power packed chapters. Mm. 
the story of Jonah is not just what God wants to do with Nineveh. It's also what God is doing in Jonah. Yeah. Hmm. If you look at those four chapters and like what, what Jonah's problem is, why his heart wasn't right, what God was wanting to do in him. So sometimes God will tell you to do something you don't want to do in order to show you yourself and to start initiating that hard change. And yeah, I get it. It's scary. It's uncomfortable. Nobody said the Christian life was comfortable and easy and tame. And, and I mean, you're, you're dealing with God here. You're not dealing with, you know, your own subconscious or anything like that. So yeah, sometimes God's going to really floor you with what he's wanting you to do. And you may not have the same desire initially. The The question is, are you up for that adventure or not? Yeah. Or do you just want a God who's just going to tell you what you want to hear? Yeah. No, that's super helpful. I'm glad, I'm glad you dive into the Jonah because that's what I was saying. I mean, I guess you could just run away and he'll like swallow you with a fish or something. <laughs> uh, but no, I think, I think the point you made is great. And I think when God does call us to do something that doesn't at the outset seem fun or like you said easy because we're not promised those things that doesn't mean that once you get through it you don't find a sense of fulfillment that you didn't have before i think uh, there is so much reward on the other end of those things because it is it is what god wants for you it is the the thing that he is calling you to do and you're if you're being obedient, you're going to find yourself closer to him. You're going to find more reward and more joy on the other end of those things. Um, so I think that I think that's super helpful. My my next kind of I think one of the first questions that popped up into my mind as I'm you know looking through the book and thinking through these things is you mentioned earlier it's not that we never look into ourselves, right? So say I'm a Christian. And I've read this book and I'm like, yeah, Trevin's right. I'm going to listen to Trevin. Uh, I'm going to start looking up before I look in. How do we know practically on a day-to-day basis if we're defining ourselves by what God says, who God says we are and what we should be doing versus those old patterns of just kind of taking what the world says? Because sometimes they can overlap and, and look the same, right? So right. most people have certain giftings that God has given them and in likely following God will look like working out in those giftings, but they may have ended up in those giftings, whether they were following God or not, because that's mm. what they're naturally, you know, common grace talented in. So how do, what, what are some things we can do to kind of assess on a day-to-day basis? Like, am I practically living out of my God-given identity or what, you know, old patterns of what I used to think? Yeah, that's a, that's a fantastic question. And there's a lot of different, there's a lot of different ways to go about getting the answer to that. I think Um, one is, I mean, you need, you need other people. Um, You know, that's one of the things, if, if, if it's look up first, it's look around second. So you need the community of faith to tell you, you know, if, if, if you're living like you're the center of the universe, quite frankly, and I, honestly, I mean, that's one of the it's one of the ways that that marriage can be such a sanctifying thing, because sometimes we need our wives to be like, it's all about you, isn't it? You know, like you get you need people to show you yourself. I have no, so, I have no idea what you're talking about, Trevin. I don't struggle okay, with well, that at all. <laughs> Most of us who aren't like my, you know. no my my wife it just choked on whatever she was drinking if she heard me say yeah. that she completely agreed. right yeah so uh, I mean you need you need other people you need the community of faith to uh, to look at the gifts that you have and to be able to uh, affirm those call those out in you but also also frankly tell you at times hey you know you're not as good at this as you think you are you know I just 
I just think of how many American Idol auditions would not have happened had someone's <laughs> parents told the people the truth yeah. <laughs> uh, before they got to Simon Cowell, you know, but I'm just, it, there's all sorts of, uh, um, uh, you, you, you definitely need other people uh, around you. But I think there's some other tests that you can do in your own life, though, that are really important. One is, um, you know, the, the test of when you, when you get called out on something, when there's like sin in your life, if you're looking up first, your primary, your instinctual response will be repentance. Mm. If you're looking in first, your dominant response is going to be reassertion to like reassert yourself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so that's I mean, wh- when you get called out or when you recognize that there's sin in your life, your response tells you a lot of, uh, of, of how you're, you're, you're seeing your life and like where, where you are on this. And so, I mean, there's a lot of other things we can go into, but those are just a couple that, that come to mind right away. Yeah. I think that's super helpful. I think maybe defensiveness is another way to put it. Uh, it, When Mm -hmm. people are calling you out, if you immediately find yourself drawn to, well, it's not like that. You don't understand, or you don't know, you don't know what I'm dealing with or going through. I think if that's your first reaction, that's probably a good hint of like, "Mm, maybe, maybe I'm making an idol out of whatever it is that, that they're poking at. uh, And and I need to slow down and, and reassess and kind of realign. Yeah. And this, this, this goes back. I mean, you talk about finding your identity in something other than God first. Mm. Um, I mean, there's multiple ways that you can test that by looking at your life. Like what the, what are the most important things in your life? And then asking the question, what, what would my my life be without those things? Mm. So if it's career or if it's, you know, another person even, or like whatever it might be, uh, there are ways in which we find something to ground our identity in other than Christ. And you know that that's an issue when the biggest fear is that you would lose that thing or that you would feel like life is no longer worth living without that thing. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's a a, a, a a key component, I think, of looking to this as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. That's super helpful. Yeah, this whole <laughs> this whole conversation <laughs> is just bringing up a lot of thoughts, and it, you keep hitting on community, and I think we hit on this from time to time because I feel like community is a really important part of the Christian faith. I mean, you can yes, you can read your Bible, and you should read your Bible to get truth from the Word, but you need people to hold you accountable to all this. And and yeah, if you're trying to live in such a way where you're looking up first it's going to be hard to do that alone. You, you need people there to back you up. So I appreciate you reiterating that thought <laughs> multiple times because there is a lot of importance in that. Yeah, I think, you, I, I think you're, you just need a place to work a lot of it out, right? You do need p- people to hold you accountable, but I don't know. Glenn, you know this about me. I'm a verbal processor. So often I call you because I, I want to talk, which literally means I want to talk. <laughs> <laughs> And I want you to kind of help me, help me through it. Uh, and, and I think, you know, maybe other people don't have that as strongly as I do. But to some sense, when we're reading our Bible, when we're looking at different things of our life that we're, we're evaluating, okay, this maybe isn't lined up with where God actually wants me to be. Uh, you, you need a place to get help. You need a place to help let others work you through that that reasoning and that that like I said earlier realigning okay so I didn't put this in my notes but I think 
the question I hear a lot once we start talking about this, we're, we're kind of, you know, like overarching, more philosophical thinking about the way um, that we define ourselves here. But I know the practical question that, that like a lot of, so my sister just graduated high school last year. She started college. People her age, the first question they're going to ask is, yeah, but what does God want me to do? Like, should I be a veterinarian or should I be a, a musician? I, like, we, really, we want to go really granular with it. And I'm curious, Trevin, what, how do you answer that type of question? What do you tell people when they... So if you're looking for a clear-cut, thus saith the Lord <laughs> kind of answer to what you should do with your life in the specifics of like a job or a career, things like that... Yeah. Um, rarely did those happen. I know people that have had sort of like, I, God made it as clear as day, well, maybe not audible voice, but like, this is what I'm supposed to do. And this is where I'm supposed to go. Um, I don't, I don't think most of the decisions that we make are like that. I think most of the decisions we make are in the realm of wisdom. Yeah. The, the question that the person, you know, the family members asking about or that's talking about where they're wrestling with what God's will is for their life. Um, it can be really easy to focus all of your attention on the question of what it is you're supposed to do rather than what I think is a more fundamental question that will help you answer that question. The more fundamental question is who are you supposed to be? Yeah. So if you start with the question of who is, who am I in Christ? Who will I be? Who is God remaking me to be? What is the, what is the sanctified, glorified version of Trevin look like? And how do I begin to move in that direction where I am as much like Christ as can possibly be and as much myself as can possibly be? Because we're all we're not clones of Christ. We all are are reflecting Christ in different ways with the beauty and uniqueness of our own personalities. I think the bigger quest, question is, who am I as a person? When you ask that question and you really you dig deep into what God says about you, what the what the, what the the word of God is telling you about yourself and what other people are affirming and calling out in you. Then when you get to the specifics of, should I go to veterinary school or should I do this or that? Then you're, you're in the realm of wisdom. And it's not that, oh, there's only this path or the other path. Sometimes God isn't, God is, is not the, the one like making clear that's the direction to go versus that. You've got multiple options that in the realm of wisdom are good options to take prayerfully dependent on the Lord with counsel of other people, you pick and you go. Yeah. The yeah. bigger question is what's God doing in you? Not what do you want to do yourself? Yeah. Mm. Because when you've got that reliance on God and he's making you into the person that he wants you to be, you will make wise decisions based on other people's counsel, based on your own gifts and skill sets, based on your own reading of God's word. And there's really not, right or wrong decisions in that realm. It's decisions of, of, of wisdom and discernment. And you need to be a kind of person to make those wise choices. I think that's really good. You're pointing out this idea that that's, that's really secondary uh, to, to who am I <laughs> or who does God call me to be? And I think in that same kind of realm, a lot of times I see this a lot people twist this question of, of what am I supposed to do? Like, what is my profession going to be? And they make that their identity, yep. uh, where it's, that's what gets tied up, uh, in their identity. Not, not who God wants them to be, but who am I going to be as far as like y you ask people, like, what do you do for a living? That's immediately what comes to mind. Um, or if somebody asks you to talk about yourself, it's usually a vocational thing that you're thinking about. 
And so, yeah, I, I think we've we've gotten warped in that kind of mindset uh, based on what you were saying earlier about like that's that's just how with society and the people around us, like that's how we've been formed to think. But it's it's definitely the, it's supposed to be the opposite. <laughs> Well, and I love the way you kind of flipped that on its head. Instead of worrying so much about that one question, let's start with the bigger picture. And then once you go through that, you find a lot more freedom. And like you, you can be a godly veterinarian, or you can be a godly musician, or you can be a godly, you know, author or podcaster or whatever. It's the more important piece, as you said, is who you are. And that relieves a lot of the pressure that I think mm. everyone, but especially young people, feel to like, I've got to make this decision and it has to matter. And, you know, the other thing I, I like to remind people all the time is to kind of have this eternal perspective. Like we get, I don't know, 90, 100, if you're really, really lucky, years on this earth. And, and that's not to say that, you know, your career and your vocation is not important. It is, and you should serve God in whatever it is that you do. But let's say a thousand years out, 10,000 years out, it, it doesn't matter as much as where you found your identity, how you lived out, you know, through in, in light of what Christ has done for us. So it just, I just would say like, ease up a little bit, like, you know, just loosen the white knuckle grip, take a deep breath and make a choice. And you can always change that later. And it doesn't have to change, as you said, Trevin, who you are, you know, based on what God says about us. So the last thing I wanted to ask you here is if we've been living out of this, this identity that we find first by looking in, or we've kind of like by osmosis gathered from the culture around us, we have all these habits that are formed by that belief, are formed by that, that identity. But when we try to flip that, we need to reshape a lot of those habits. So I'm curious what, what your advice is as the spiritual practices we should take on when we, when we get those things realigned the right way. Uh, what, what are some things we can do to keep them there? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm big on habits. I mean, that's why I devoted the last chapter of the book to this, because I don't, I don't think that we can really stand out in the world and rethink ourselves by looking up rather than in. If everything in our world is telling us, look in first, look in first, look in first, you can go out into the world every day being like, I'm going to look up first. That's for, and it doesn't matter because you're going to adopt the same sort of um, uh, way of life as everyone else that it, you wind up just, you can say that in your mind, but in the actual outworking of your life, it won't make much difference. So, I, I mean, obviously you look at the spiritual disciplines that have been handed down to us, the habits of, you know, of, of Bible reading, for example, like we mentioned before, but and not just Bible reading to get a little inspirational tidbit for your morning, mm. but like Bible reading to actually, you get in, you don't want just a little piece of like a little nugget of wisdom to carry through your day. You want to jump into the wisdom of the Bible to see yourself within that big story that the Bible is telling. Right. Mm. So that kind of Bible reading over time is very formative. Of course, prayer, you know, fasting is really big in a, in a consumer oriented society. We don't like fasting particularly, but it's, <laughs> it's one that, I mean, it's an ancient habit for good reason. It, 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 you know, um, being belonging to a church in a way that there's accountability rather than just attending a church mm-hmm. is a really big deal because it, it actually puts you in like a covenant with other people to where you are basically signing up to be, at times, like have your freedom impinged upon, like yeah. that's what you're doing when you're part of a church. You, you're you're signing yourself up for obligations, which are actually good, which are shaping mm. you. 
as a person. Um, but but one of the things that I've I've really been um, focusing on the last couple of years, even I've been doing more thought on it even since I wrote this book, is what I call subversive habits. Meaning, and these are not like spiritual discipline types where like you know prayer, Bible reading, go to church, those things. But like the the kinds of the kinds of habits that are deliberately intended to subvert something that would make you look in before looking up. So for example, the one I like to use a lot is like uh, scripture before phone. Like I, for this reason, my wife and I, we purposefully do not have our phones in our bedrooms. We charge them downstairs. I have an old style alarm clock. We have our, our phones downstairs because the first thing I want to do when I wake up is go over to my desk in the other part of the room and do my Bible reading. Hmm. I'm not going to check in online. I'm not going to open Instagram, Twitter, or anything like that. I'm going to, I want the first 20 minutes of my day or so to be focused on God and his word and prayer. I'll get to the phone in a little bit. The world will not end without you not going to your phone yeah. at 730 in the morning, yeah. you know, seven in the morning. So, but that's like, so people could say, oh, that's legalistic. You're, and I'm not saying that needs to be a rule for everybody, but I'm saying by doing that, I'm deliberately subverting. If the phone is constantly telling me I'm at the center of the universe because everything on my phone is designed for me, yeah. it's on my apps, it's telling me all about, you know, my, I'm deliberately wanting to subvert that by making the point of scripture before phone. Um, and I know a lot of people are like, why well, would scripture on my phone? Which is great, great. But I'm just saying, like, <laughs> you know, then have your then have your phone in airplane mode until you've read your scriptures, you know, yeah. whatever. But the the point is, uh, um, define something that deliberately subverts that self centered tendency in you. I know a pastor who used to park on Sunday mornings on the far end of the parking lot and walk to church rather than sort of have the pastor's parking. Mm. That's not. There's nothing wrong for a pastor having his own parking spot. Don't hear me being legalistic again. <laughs> and you would ask, why would he do that? That's such an inefficient use of time, not for him. Because he was saying, no, that walk across the parking lot where I give other people the best parking spots is my way of reminding myself as I walk from the end of the parking lot all the way to the church, I am not the big deal here. Yeah. I am a servant of these people. Like it's like it's like habits like that. You got to find out what they are for you that are going to reorient your mind and your eyes and your heart to God first and other second and you third. I love it. Yeah. I, I, uh, well, I'll just point out again, if, if I think if your gut reaction, and because I'm experiencing this as you're talking, it's like, Ooh, I should probably do that with my phone. (laughs) Can I find a way to decide that I shouldn't do that? (laughs) Like, again, if your first reaction is kind of this defensiveness to, you know, upsetting some of those probably not healthy habits that you have, that's probably a good indication that you actually really should think about it. You actually really should come up with a plan uh, uh, to do that. And I I don't know that the parking one will stick with me. <laughs> but uh, but uh, one of my best friends in the world is a pastor, and he has always done that. And it probably took me like two years of knowing him before I was like, why does he walk so far? And, you know, it's, it's the same kind of thing, but I've, I've always respected that about him. I just haven't personally felt convicted enough to park. <laughs> to park. Yeah, I mean, it's again, it, and and it's not like, I'll give you another example. So I, I think the some of the people we look up to a lot have as like great examples of the faith have done this more often than we realize. Yeah. I mean, one example would be C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis wrote so many letters. Mm. He basically wrote to everyone who wrote him. Yeah. And he wrote thoughtful things to people to the point that 
his brother and others looked at his life and what he was spending, how much time he was spending writing letters saying, he, what books could he be writing that he's not writing? Cause he's answering all these people individually, yeah. you know, but I guarantee you that the books that we love from CS Lewis would not be the same books. Yeah. If, it, if it weren't for the formative influence of that sort of daily interruption of people into his life. And I'm not saying everybody that is well-known that gets a lot of letters needs to write letters like Lewis did. But I think that was one way he talked about interruptions are, they don't interrupt one's daily life. They are one's daily life. Yeah. That's what life mm-hmm. is interruptions. And I think that there's something formative in the character of the man that for 20 or so years, 30 years, this is what he did that made his books, the ones he did write when he wasn't writing letters so much more powerful and impactful because of the kind of person it formed him into. So uh, again, subversive habits, uh, they're going to be different for different people. There's no one size fits all. It's not like it's a legalistic rule, but I think if you really want to rethink yourself, you've got to ask yourself the question, where are my most selfish tendencies? How do I kill those with habits that are directly designed to nuke those tendencies? And that's yeah. what you gotta you gotta come up with. Man, I love it. I, I really enjoyed the book. Really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on and chat with us. Help Glenn and I, you know, figure out what we want to do with our lives. Um, that's <laughs> that's like our ongoing jokes. We have we have guests. It's really just like personal therapy. Like, hey, fix us, uh, and then maybe some other people will will benefit from that as well. But as I kind of hinted at earlier on you got a lot going on in your life and so i'm curious what are, what are you working on now and where can people find you if they want to see more of trevin wax yeah so uh it's easy to find me if you just go to trevinwax.com it'll bring up my column at the gospel coalition um i also i've got an email newsletter that i'm about to start up um where i you know put out some columns but also we'll we'll do uh um you know some link lists and things like that when I'm finding things but I'm on Twitter and Facebook I'm not really active on Instagram I just I've just started to dip my feet into that and to just see what other people are doing but um you can find me there and then as far as projects and stuff I mean I just started a new role at the North American Mission Board where I'm mm-hmm. I'm heading up a resources division and we're going to be spinning up a lot of free resources for pastors and church planters, which I think will be really exciting. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm working on another book. So I'm, I'm constantly writing and got lots of stuff going on all at the same time. That's awesome, man. And yeah, I'm excited. You like just started the position at NAM, right? That's right. Right. Just started this month. That's awesome. I'm excited to see what comes of that. Uh, when I was, what, like I said, when I was whittling down the bio, <laughs> which I, I make that joke multiple times, but in case you guys don't know, I, you, you were there starting the gospel project, right? I was at Lifeway. That's what I yeah, did at Lifeway. And then the you, gospel were, project, you were right? at Lifeway for a long time. So anyway, Trevin's got a lot of cool stuff. Like you said, you should check him out. Guys, as always, thanks for listening. Uh, you can check us out as well at your usuals, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Let us know what you thought about this episode. Let us know what you would like to hear us talk about next. And of course, you can reach out to us directly at hello at com. We'll talk to you soon. Peace. The Bible and Stuff podcast is a production of Bible and Stuff. We do more than just podcasts, so if you want to know more about something we've covered on the show, just visit our website at bibleandstuff.com. Our show is hosted by Tanner Britt and Glenn Brand, and our theme music is by The Sing Team. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>